Yo, what's up, guys? Next week, you may be able to... The writers thing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I'm going to yeah. bury you underground. Who is a, obviously, terrific salesman talking to these simpletons in the middle of the desert in the early 1900s who are just like, more bread. All right. <laughs> I'm going to burp so you can cut this part out. <clears throat> Should probably it's leave. going in the intro. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, man. there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey, you were over the line, that's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hey there, welcome into episode 22 of Film Tank. I am your host, Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the 2007 Paul Thomas Anderson film, There Will Be Blood. On today's episode, we have Nick Cheney with us. Hi. Hello. Sound like, uh, what's his name? From uh, Animal House? Uh, what's his name? The, 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 the plump guy. John Belushi? No, no, no. The, uh, one of the... Um, Jim Belushi? No. <laughs> Mark Belushi? Oh, man. who I don't even know who Mark Belushi think, is. I don't think Mark Belushi exists. There may be a Mark <laughs> I, Belushi out there somewhere. But, no, um, Flounder, yeah, he uh, he says oh, that to somebody yeah. like that. Hello. Yeah. I don't know why I always remember that. Also, Kenny Marcel is here. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Don't you love these I, intros? Yeah, They're I so love them. so much fun. I love them. <laughs> uh, there is one person missing from today's episode, and that is Toussaint Egan. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. Yeah, we should just do the whole show and claim we're, we're being him and just change during the impressions. If someone can do a Ken Watanabe impression, that'll be Tucson. To do yeah, I was going to say, only oh, he can do it. I can't do it. I guess so. Yo, what's up, guys? <laughs> yeah, he's not here. He's uh, He is busy um, doing something in, in Chicago. Chicago that may or may not be a girl. So, um, yeah, we'll see. He'll be happy to hear you say that. Well, that's fine. You know what? Uh, that's cool. At least I'll know he's listening to the episode. Then, so that's good. <laughs> Um, as I mentioned, uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about There Will Be Blood, but before that, 
a mention of uh, what we'll be seeing next week as uh, we're going to do another two movie episode where two hosts will see one movie and two hosts will see the other as there are uh, two major releases coming out uh, this coming weekend, which are Ant-Man, the uh, new Marvel film starring Paul Rudd, and uh, also Trainwreck, a uh, big uh, big chance here for Amy Schumer as she gets a starring role. And I don't really think she's had that many supporting roles in films either. No, and, like but so. she also did write the movie too. So I mean, as far as like getting both her material and her presence. Now, so, there's a lot of talent in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's got a lot of potential. Now, is that, that's an Apatow-directed film, is yeah, it? Yeah, he directed it, but he, t- he wanted her to write the script and whatnot. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I haven't really read too much about it in terms of opinions one way or the other, so we will we'll see what the uh, what the writers think. Then next week you'll be able to hear what we think, so that'll That's be right. that'll be good stuff. Uh, also, uh, Bill Hader in that uh, train wreck movie too, and, I'm and LeBron good. too. I think Bill Hader is <laughs> LeBron. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen the commercial. No, I, I know, I forgot. Yeah. I oh, forgot okay. about that. <laughs> He's got to get home to watch Downton Abbey. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, I just really quickly want to say I'm so glad that out of everybody that came out of SNL that like people are starting to realize what a talent Bill Hader is. Dude. I don't think he was always like the biggest as far as like Andy Samberg, uh, as, like exposure goes uh, for like breakout like characters or whatever. But as far as like him between like movies like this and uh, what I loved from last year, the Skeleton Twins, he can do some really good dramatic. From work that too. era, he was always my favorite yeah. on SNL. He's very love good. that guy. He's I always love a... everything I've ever seen him in for the most part. Yeah. And love... we'll see what happens with this movie too and the question I'll think of when I see this is that he seems like he's playing kind of a, a straight character in this yeah. movie that he's not playing a goofy but you never really know what to expect out of him. <laughs> no, but but from what no, the emotional material has, like has the, showed, yeah. he's yeah. a pretty normal guy. He's the most down-to-earth person in the movie, which is saying something. Because yeah. even in the Skeleton Twins, which was a pretty serious movie, he was still someone who had, uh, I would say, some quirks to him and whatnot. So, But yeah, no, this is definitely the most straightforward world. Cool. Uh, I think uh, myself and Nick will be seeing Trainwreck, if I'm not mistaken. And and Kenny, I, I was, I was kind of thinking when we were deciding who was going to see the movies that I know how much you like Guardians of the Galaxy. I know that the uh, team that put that movie together was somewhat involved with uh, Ant-Man. Yeah, no, so. I'm looking forward to Ant-Man for sure. I mean, I'm more of a comedy guy, but in this case, I want to see both of them pretty I'm looking much equally as bad. So. forward to Ant-Man more than I was uh, like a few months ago because at least some of the early reviews are saying that it's not bad, like not, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I, I'm definitely interested to see what you guys think of it. Well, and my wife loves Paul Rudd, so oh, I think man, that's going to be an easy sell I mean, for her. doesn't, really? <laughs> So dreamy, Dude. and he never ages. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, yeah. when you when you watch him in like Wet Hot American Summer, he looks like he's the exact same. Uh, or even uh, Clueless, or I was giving to go back even a little oh, further. Shit, in the, go uh, back the uh, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet movie yes. from like 1998. Yep, he looks the same. Yep, for real, it's scary. Yep. Uh, so Kenny and Toussaint will. Uh, be reviewing Ant-Man and me and Nick will be uh, reviewing Trainwreck. Now that you're saying that, I'm actually laughing because I just realized that um, you know this July marks the the future coming up release of the Wet Hot American TV series. Yeah, I saw that. And one of the jokes of a TV series, which was also one of the jokes in the original movie, is that these uh, actors are way too old to be playing these roles because <laughs> they're supposed to be in high school, you know. And so one of the jokes of the the TV series is that it's a prequel, and yet these actors have aged, you know, like ten to fifteen years, obviously. Uh, but Paul Rudd, of course, still looks the exact same. So I, I hope there's at least one joke that kind of mentions that, like how everybody is like much fatter or whatever, except for Paul Rudd for whatever reason. I read a kind of weird 
weird story about how that all came together and kind of what had to happen because people who were on that and who are doing this are, you know, for the most part, much more popular than they were then. Bradley Cooper as I was say, the I, gay uh, theater teacher, like, that is one of the weirdest roles for him to play, like, to go back and watch that if that was him with him and Amy Poehler. Well, I was reading that I was going to bring up Bradley Cooper because... He is was the only, or he only had like one day or something like two days to do the entire yep. series. So they had to get everything they needed from him in that one or two days. That's yep. crazy. But I'm glad because that was the one thing that I was worried when I heard that there was going to be a revival because I loved that movie. To be honest, I was worried. I'm like, some of these people are huge. So I'm glad it seemed like they were able to get everybody for whatever they needed. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I will probably talk about it at one point on this podcast. It'll be coming to Netflix soon. Yep. So today, as I've mentioned twice already, we're going to be talking about uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson eh, classic, sort of, I guess oh, you'd call I think, it. I think so. A lot of critics would call it that. A lot of, yeah. It's a lot one of, of the only movies yeah. from the past 10 years to make it onto, like, numerous best of lists, like, of all time. It's been uh, listed by many as their favorite film so far of this millennium, yeah. so... I can't keep doing this on my own. With these um, people. <laughs> One night I'm going to come to you inside of your house, wherever you're sleeping, and I'm going to cut your throat. You look like a fool, don't you, Dilfin? I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the others promise to do, when it comes to the showdown, they won't be there. I'm a family man. I run a family business. This is my son and my partner, H.W. Plainview. We offer you a bond, a family that very few oil men can understand. We have a sinner with us here who wishes for salvation. You have abandoned your child, your child that you raised. You have abandoned all because he was sick and you have sinned. So say it now. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! Stop crying, you sniveling ass! Stop your nonsense! You're just the afterbirth. You would just you look. take this lease, Daniel. Train it! Train it! I drink your. Milkshake. I drink it up. Uh, that is uh, "There Will Be Blood." Uh, came out in two thousand seven, uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. And there are other people I can mention, but the the two main players in this film are Daniel Day Lewis playing Daniel Plainview, and Paul Dano who plays Eli Sunday for the most part, except for that one scene when he plays his twin brother that they never explain. Yeah. Uh, this film is a story of family, religion, hatred, oil, and madness focusing on the turn-of-the-century prospector in the early days of the oil business. So, who would like to uh, start out talking about There Will Be Blood? Would you like me to go first? If you would if you would like to. I know you are an enormous Paul way Thomas to, Anderson way fan. To, way to passively volunteer. I'm just saying, you know, he was looking for one, so I thought well, I'd... Well, and if you don't know about Nick, Paul Thomas mm-hmm. Anderson... It's, it's close between him and Wes Anderson, right? I was going to say, right now, if I look forward to either one, I think Paul would slightly edge out Wes Anderson. But maybe that's because Wes Anderson, in a good way, is way more consistent. So I feel like I already know what to expect 
from a Wes Anderson movie where one of the things I love about Paul Thomas Anderson is that I feel like I get a completely new experience for better or worse with each one of his movies and I genuinely love them all. Here's but a no, dumb question. Yeah. Are those two related? No, they are not. I'll say why is one no. got a hyphen? <laughs> Sorry. No, that's, dumb question. I prefaced they it. They are not. And there's also another Anderson too. I forget uh, what his name is, but like, yeah, there's like a joke. But anyway, speaking about There Will Be Blood, what's... I what's ironic about my reaction to this movie is that as much as I love Paul Thomas Anderson and I do love pretty much everything he's done this is somehow nowhere near one of my favorite movies he's ever done so I like I say take this with a grain of salt when I say I don't flat out love this movie because I pretty much I do and I don't to kind of put it more simply I think this is like a technical masterpiece I think the cinematography, the performances, and the score like are all working together to create one of the most impressive works of filmmaking I've ever seen. Like you could, in my opinion, study this in textbooks and whatnot. Uh, Robert Elswit, who's pretty much a longtime collaborator with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson as a cinematographer, I feel like he's actually an underrated cinematographer because we only really ever hear about like Deacons uh, as far as like mainstream people pointing them out. But Roger Ellsworth, some of the camera work in this is not just phenomenal in capturing, like, landscapes, but also in, like, moving this action along. Like, I was kind of surprised when I was rewatching it. Like, some people would call this, like, a slow-paced movie, but the camera's never really slow because it's almost always zooming in at certain points and kind of moving from shot to shot. Like, so I, I just think he does a great job of making this story progress. Well, if we're talking about nicely. the cinematography, too, uh, something I was going to mention, that it won uh, for Best Cinematography at the Oscars that year. And really, if it would have not won, it would have been a pretty big travesty. Because okay. if, if you watch this film, and, and people can have things about it which they don't like, which is totally fine. Yeah. I have things about this movie I don't like. But if you if you just watch this movie on a pure visual level, and you, you see kind of... Not just the way that it was shot, but also like the kind of different techniques that were used with it. I mean, oh, it was yeah. just masterfully shot, so Agreed. it was terrific. Not only that, but the weird, I would say, inclusion of that. The first time I watched this, I actually had never caught it in theaters, so I watched it on a Blu-ray disc when I had bought it yeah. to catch up on it. And the first time I watched it, I remember at first thinking that there was something wrong with my disc because there were like in shots which inc- like almost purposely include things that most directors would say, oh, we need to reshoot it or like get a lens protector or something because you'd have like bleeding of like the light come in where like it like tints the entire like first half of the frame like blue or something like that and it's kind of like the fact that he left all that in there just always made me conscious of the cinematography but in a good way because i was just kind of wondering like why is he like kind of went with the theme of the film though so exactly so but you you never really see that anywhere um you guys are let me jump in here real quick you guys are talking about different techniques in the way that they were shot one thing i noticed that i thought was different that i don't know that i've seen too much of is the way that he would bleed scenes together Mm -hmm. like there were times when um like audibly the next scene would be starting or visually yet the other one was still bleeding into it I yeah that was... very long fade transitions mm-hmm. between the scenes and and they they work for the most oh, yeah. part and i think that goes to what i was saying about like in anybody else's hand this would be the most boring movie ever just not ever but you know this would be one of those like in 50 years people would be like oh, i don't want to watch there will be blood i know it's supposed to be a classic but i feel like in 50 years people are still going to want to watch this movie because of the way it flows and it it really Despite the fact that it's, you know, a two-hour and 40-minute movie, it can feel long in certain scenes. But for the most part, I've, I've seen films that felt much longer than this. 
Um, but a few other things before I pass it off in general is like, A, I forgot how funny this movie is. Like, it's actually a pretty, like, you know, you remember some of the more big acting moments and whatnot, but it's actually one of the, maybe one of the funniest movies Paul Thomas Anderson's ever made, whether it's just, in my opinion, kind of like the silent comedy in the beginning when he's like, you know, like I'm a ladder. Like, I don't think (laughs) he just put that in there just for like, you know, dramatic sake. I think it's actually just kind of like Charlie Chaplin, you know, falling down a well type, you know, joke. (laughs) Um, to even, like, Daniel's reaction with uh, Eli and the oil, you know, uh, whatever, when he's just slapping him and whatnot. Like, it's just kind of like men devolving into boys type humor. I was going to say, I, I think this film, uh, I don't think you could watch it the first time through and think it is really funny. Oh, yeah. But, like, my favorite movie of all time, Casino, yeah. the more time you watch it and, and the the way you get to know the characters by watching it over and over, and especially with the portrayal that Daniel Day-Lewis is putting on. I mean, he is, uh, as with almost every role he's ever done, he is he is owning that role yeah. and committing to it 100%. And yeah. you know what, man? That is, that is just, there are just some parts of the movie. Uh, my all-time favorite from this film, easily, is when they're in the uh, the diner late in the film and H.M. Uh, Tilford walks in yeah. and he puts the napkin on his head and just starts yelling <laughs> stuff. I was like, man, this guy is a child. Yeah. It's fucking great. Even right before that, which not him being a child, but just his delivery. I love when he goes, you don't have to shout at him. <laughs> yeah. like, something that he probably does know, but you know, obviously he was awkward at that encounter or whatever. But um, in general, I mean, I think this is a fantastic movie. I don't know if it's a story of anything that we haven't seen before, like, in so many classic movies. Like, even, like, something like Citizen Kane. You know, like, it's just about, like, the the capitalist system kind of corrupting a man and devolving him into something that just only gives into your most inner base, you know, whatever. Um, but I, because Daniel Day-Lewis' performance kind of turns it into something we haven't seen quite this way before, and that's kind of what, I wouldn't say saves the movie, but definitely makes the movie uh, for me. Um, but that being said, I don't fall out love it because there are certain things that um, that work against it from my perspective, which is, and the main thing that is, and I, I would understand why pretty much anyone would disagree with me, but I find the character of Eli Sunday to be 20 times more fascinating than Daniel's character. And I'd almost rather see a movie about him going against the, cause it's more about Daniel, you know, fighting his antagonist. And I'd rather almost, I mean, there are scenes that I feel like are way more, I would say inherently fascinating. Like when Eli's around the table and, he, and he's talking to his father and he calls him Abel and he's like, "Do you think? Talk, do you think about Paul? Paul Sunday? Wasn't that his Eli name? Sunday? Eli Sunday is the the priest. Uh, you know, yeah. The 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 main. Can we can we get this out of the way real yeah. quickly? Because this is this is a yeah. big complaint that I had had originally with the film and I still do because it was not. However, it was done. I, I maybe it was intentional, but I don't. I don't I know. I believe it was. I, What's that? That they were supposed to be? I don't think they were supposed to be twins. I actually think it's just supposed to be one of those creepy things. As far as like, like no, I know. I'm not saying that I because they, they are twins. Well, what I mean is, I feel like what's creepy is that. Okay, they are twins, but does anybody in the script actually say they're twins? Like, I feel like, but but th- that that's kind of the problem because the role of Eli Sunday was cast for another actor, right? And, and then, then he. he dropped out after three weeks and then they just had <laughs> they just had him double down yeah pretty much which <laughs> yeah which actually i mean if you want to look back at this film from 2007 to now i mean it worked out because paul dano is a much bigger actor than i can't remember that guy's name but at the same time 
it's it's just always like the first time I was watching, I'm like, so is that the same guy? And I, I know lots of people have had that same exact. Well, yeah, reaction. but that's what he thinks too. Remember right, that, right? I, I know. Okay, so that's why I think it was definitely intentional because if not, like that doesn't make its way into the script with his first hesitation upon meeting the new one, and he's just kind of like staring at him, like, like what, what the, the fuck f- is this? Right. <laughs> Which I kind of that's what I actually like about how they handled it is that besides the fact that the characters notice it, like um like Daniel notices it, it's also something that's never actually explained, which kind of gives it this weird like i don't know like at, at the real like i don't know like spiritual thing in the sense that like like you, it's two different people and yet they're also the same person as far as when he gives that like monologue at the end uh the bowling alley and he said it was your brother that is the prophet kind of like those are the two halves of the yeah. same person so i don't know i kind of like that it's this weird twilight zone moment in a script that's actually pretty naturalistic as far as like you know like the the way it goes yeah. about and whatnot and, and that's fine and i assume that's what Paul Thomas Anderson was going for after they made the switch. Obviously, there were a couple moments, and you, the one you mentioned yeah. with Daniel looking at him, where it's just like, okay. Uh, There's always like but, something in a Paul Thomas Anderson film, even like in the film like Boogie Nights, which is a very straightforward film. Like, there's nothing obviously fantastical about it or whatever. But if you look at the scene when he goes to like Alfred Molina's house to buy drugs, and that's a drug deal, and yet while that's happening, somebody's going around lighting off firecrackers the entire scene. And then there's a shot that goes on Marky Mark's face for over a minute while nobody's talking and he's just staring into the camera for like seemingly no reason. You know, there's always, I don't know, like kind of like Paul Thomas Anderson never wants, I want to say like the viewers to become too comfortable in any one thing. So he makes sure that there's at least something for people to go, what the fuck was that about? You know, (laughs) and you can read whatever you want to into it, or it's just a pretty straightforward thing. Um, but as I was saying earlier, just to really quickly wrap those thoughts up, it's just yeah, I, I prefer the character of Eli almost like as a as somebody I want to like learn more about and whatnot compared to somebody like Daniel because I feel like I haven't seen that quite at least tackled in such a I don't know uh, flamboyant way so to speak. But I will say the reason why I actually like this movie more now than I did the first time watch it is because I feel like he actually did get that out of his system with The Master, which did kind of dive way more into theatrical religion and that kind of uh, storytelling. So because he kind of did go off with that tangent, I'm almost able to appreciate this movie more than I did back then. So I'm kind of right back to loving this movie. Again. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Like I've come full circle on it. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a perfect film, and I, I do prefer some of his other ones uh, more so than this. Which is totally fine. Yeah. So, Kenny, if you want to... I, I, I've seen this movie quite a few times, and I know you. this is your first yeah, this, viewing on it. It's so. the first viewing for me, and I know you guys were interested. See, like when you texted me earlier wondering about my feelings on this movie, I, I think I maybe let on... Uh, I, I don't think I expressed... I, I like this more than you think I liked it. Okay. That is what I'm trying to say. Um, it, it was... At first, it was a bit to get into, like, because this isn't my kind of movie. For no, the most yeah, part. for sure. It's, a, it's not my tempo. It's not my <laughs> tempo. It, it just... It was very slow at first, but um, it, it started building a very interesting story with the whole... Um, with, uh, with, with Daniel Plainview... He he was such a I mean besides the obvious of Daniel Day Lewis like like he's such a method I know that's what he's the method actor and he yeah, gets he's, into he's all like of his the roles method right. actor so I I know it's stating the obvious that's but, why his name was Daniel because he didn't want to <laughs> have to think anything else oh boy 
I mean, I know, I, I know I'm stating the obvious and saying that he was like overwhelmingly awesome, but holy Maybe. shit! Like, I don't know that I've actually ever even seen a role played better than yeah. that. Like, I kept thinking that the whole movie, at least from for for me, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody commit to a role better than he did with this role. And it was really interesting to watch his character play out and and watch how he basically turned into a madman over his greed and, yeah. and selfishness and and all this and that. But uh, other than that, like there there were a lot of things like the score of this, which almost gave it like a horror film kind of feel mm-hmm. at, at times. Johnny but, Greenwood of uh, Radiohead fame did the score. Really? Oh, yeah. And so he's now done two more scores because I think he did the master and Inherent Vice's score for Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, because this was one of those things where this this worked, but it was one of those things where when when he did it, it may not have worked at, oh, at yeah. the end of the day, and it just ended up being really good. With that was with one the of the content. most talked about things, which is rare for a movie in these days. Like for there to be that many, like, did you guys hear that score? You know, like conversations around this movie. But and he was to this the same way um, Trent Reznor was to like the Social Network when David Fincher picked him up to do that score. Right. Like it's kind of well, becoming a new trend, all because it started here. Well, the, the, I was going to ask you guys this because I was actually literally wondering if. It was Trent Reznor because I, I found myself watching this, thinking this has the, the the music in this the 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 score has a very Nine Inch Nail kind of industrial, yeah, not rock kind of feel, but that industrial. No, it was Johnny Greenwood, but I have to admit, or I have to, I would have to think that when David Fincher went to make, cause that was only like a few years, you know, after this after. came out, that he had saw how great this worked and he found his kind of Johnny right. Greenwood, so to speak. Well, yep. I guess what I'm trying to say is. Although the the movie and the story maybe wasn't necessarily my cup of tea per se, even though it, it was interesting. Like I never really was very bored with this movie. I just yeah. I feel like they easily could have cut probably about an hour out of this and still told the same story, yeah. which is again it's just not quite my speed. I'm normally I'm actually with you on that remark because uh, I mean I don't know like how much time specifically, but there were a few subplots here that I didn't need to see personally again, like the whole of his brother slash not his brother storyline um which I, I do think is interesting as far as how it's acted out or whatever, but that doesn't really, for me, add any more to the character that I don't already know from already seeing the entire film. So I don't know. I, I don't, do you, are you shaking your... I'm curious. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not, I'm not, not that I'm with kind you. Kind of in the middle. I'm kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't mind that it's included. It's not like I skip over it or something like that. It, but. It, uh, every time I think about the film, I, I do think that that is kind of one of the parts of the movie that drags on. Un, yeah. But every time I watch the movie, then I don't really like. It's only like a thirty-minute section of the film, and and even though there there is a lot of it, and there are, right. are is a lot of dialogue between him and his fake brother Henry. I guess it's, um, uh... Yeah, it. it I, I feel like it is the 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 part of the story of the brother uh, is, is I I think pivotal to Daniel's character, but but not necessarily how much it's played out in the in the film. I guess for me the reason why I'm 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 with both you and Kenny in the sense that like it's 30 minutes but it's also 30 un- uninterrupted minutes. Like he kind of pretty much comes in in the picture and then the picture doesn't go to another go back to the main kind of oil rigging storyline until he's out of the picture. And that's also when uh, the bandy shows up. So it's kind of like mm. he becomes this gateway for him to be found by the bandy, but it was kind of like an unnecessary role well, to get there. Uh, let me also ask this like so there was the the point in the movie when he put his son on the train, which, by the way, was a real dick move. He puts his, <laughs> well, his son, who had gone deaf at this point. He was a bad guy. He had, he had an accident on the oil derrick and, and had gone deaf, lost his hearing. 
and he put his kid on the train and just sent him off, like tricked his kid into thinking he was coming back on the train before it left and it was gone. Uh, why, like, why bring him back at the end? Like, I, I, I guess at the, the end or before the like when he actually like, gets him back. They they did a very good job before his son actually was brought back towards the end of the movie of of portraying the fact that he was very, uh, you know, he was very. He had a inner conflict going with himself over the fact that he had done like people had said things at certain points in the movies that you could tell he was, you know, upset with himself that he had done that to his son. Like, why? Why drive it home even more? If if I want to give you my perspective on it, um, the the son comes back because the the church would have called bullshit on him after he he gets. um, Saved. His his yeah, yeah he gets saved from his sins I'm and abandoned my boy yeah that's just a great line by the yeah. way that whole that that was that was used for his Oscar scene at the Academy uh, yeah, Awards been. and it was great but yeah he would have um, they would have not thought he would have uh, repented I, I think and uh, wouldn't have gotten the pipeline built which obviously and as actually, we see from the later scenes where he's living in a mansion shooting fake animals in the middle of his living room um, he really he had, wanted to get there he had so. a random bowling alley in his living room that yeah. was great like because what's funny is like in 2015 a bowling alley in a house seemed excessive but imagine <laughs> what that seems like you know yeah like so that's what I love about just the fact that he had the bowling alley in his mansion like I don't know there's something about it that's so fucking ridiculous well, it just looked like wee bowling yeah what I thought <laughs> Well, there's a payoff to the bowling alley. Oh, as, oh there as we is. All know. Um, <laughs> but actually, what's funny about Kenny's question is that I have a completely different reading on it, and I also think that's one of the strengths of this character study is that it's all about whether you think Daniel is full of shit or just a shithead, you know. And for me, I actually think it's a little bit of both in the sense that I don't think he simply um, sent for the boy to come back because he thought that the, the parishioners would have thought that he was full of shit. I think Daniel's biggest enemy is himself because he can always i think trick himself into believing something for only a short limited amount of time so i think when he went and got saved which he was just doing obviously to oblige uh, even has a line at the end of that where it's like build a pipeline build a pipeline and and he has the (laughs) uh somewhat famous right afterwards when he gets finished with that whatever he turns around and shakes Eli's hand and he says something and yeah, we, we, we as know. the audience don't know what he says. Right, so. which is probably like, fuck you. <laughs> but what I, I do kind of like about that is in my eyes, I actually think like 1% of him started to believe in what had just happened as far as like, what if there is a God and therefore if he is watching because that's the thing, he's, he's a people pleaser. So I feel like even in that sense, he was like, well, I better just get the kid back here because, you know, what What if I am going to hell? Like, I can be an asshole, but as long as I have this relationship with God, which obviously does dissolve because he's a bad person. But I think that's what ends up biting him in the ass because then when he gets his boy back, and what, in my opinion, fuels the entire bowling alley conversation is the fact that he got his son back so he thought he did the right thing, and he still re- but he's still unable to cope with the fact that because he's a monster, monster that's why like his son doesn't want to be with him and whatnot and that's why he starts to like he gets ui to say that he's a false prophet because everything he does say is bullshit when he won't just put the blame on himself well and a lot of that part of that scene also has to do with the the scene we were just referencing with the uh 
the baptism yeah. where he 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 wanted to embarrass, even though it wasn't oh, in front yeah. of anybody. I except love for himself. how much it mirrors that, like especially because I was cracking up uh, during the baptism scene when Eli keeps giving him directions, but he doesn't give them to him all at once. It's always like he gives him one, and then he thinks he's got it. So then he's like, okay, and then he's like, all right, but now get on your knees. He's like, okay, and he gets on his knees, and then he says, okay, but now say it loud, you know. And so I love how he does the exact same. They can't hear you in the back. <laughs> Pretend that this is your congregation, and, and you're delivering your sermon. It's just, uh, the way he the way he talks is I, I I'll get into that real quick because Kenny already mentioned that Daniel Day Lewis is just owning this role and just playing it oh for real and, big time you know I, I I and I know that this movie possibly would not have gotten made if Daniel Day Lewis would not have signed on to play Daniel it, it wouldn't have been near what it is without him I mean I don't know who else they could have cast to to be as powerful a, a person in that role. He owned it, like the way he spoke, just the way he talked, and he was so. It was actually refreshing to have a character that was just so blunt and direct about everything. I really enjoyed that about his character. It was like every time he would open his mouth to say anything, like there was no beating around the bush. This was a guy who knew what he wanted, and he had. He was not ever afraid to to just tell it like it was. No matter who he offended or or how anybody felt about the way he said it, I love when he chastises his uh, partner when uh, they let him know that uh, the bandy were you know were the holdouts, and he basically says, "Well, I told you back then or whatever." Don't be thick with me, Al. <laughs> yeah. Al. And then when he goes, "I'll go down there and I'll show you how it's done," <laughs> yeah. and, it's like, and, and it's like, "Well, that's not really what was the problem in the first place." I love that first church scene when 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 they like drag the devil out of the old lady with arthritis, and then he's outside with uh um Eli. With Eli and he's like well, it was one hell of a goddamn show yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is so great and speaking of his performance one of the things that I think even makes it even better is the fact that besides the fact that he inhabits this character he inhabits every single quality of this character and that includes uh some of the early scenes when he's putting on the show and the you know the when he's giving the you know the cell the hard cell to like the town or whatever which which if you think about it too a lot of that actually was true what he was saying about oh, yeah. how we're going to build schools and we're going to have bread here now right. and we're going to have water which actually does happen yeah. But but he also does steal all the money in the end. Oh so. no! But but what I love about that scene is like if I was in that room, I'd probably believe everything he said yeah. just because that's he's so good at selling it as as well as conveying like when he's not being a salesman. Uh, yeah. And also, this is you know 2015. Us watching this of of him who is a obviously terrific salesman talking to these simpletons in the middle of the desert in the early 1900s who are just like more bread all right <laughs> you literally hear someone in the background goes someone to tell that woman to shut up and I'm like holy <laughs> shit but I, um, but yeah Daniel Day Lewis just is just owning this role and every time with him it's just it's not necessarily because other people do American accents well but just knowing that he's He's English, yeah. and he just comes in and just just has this terrific accent that he created himself, created for this character. Is just and his character of Daniel Plainview for me is why I like his character so much, and I, I think he's one of my, fa- if not my favorite, he's one of my favorite characters of any movie of all time, just because. He he is such a simple character if you look at him one way, but he is so complex if you look yeah. at him another way. And it's just it, it, you can believe whatever you want about his character because he is that wide open to criticism or or to you. You could think he was just a guy who lost his way, who who had good intentions and who just became kind of a bad guy. But there there are so many parts, and that's why I think the the brother 
is important because we see sort of that move from his son to, you know, moving towards his business where every time we see anything that's involved with actual family of his, he gets very emotional and, and allows them in much more. I mean, the, the only time other than the very end of the film, uh, we, we see Daniel really open up and actually give himself is when he's talking with, uh, he's talking with Henry the, the first time after he's like first met him that day. He's opening up to him right away saying how he can't stand dealing with people. And he has the line with him later that about that house that he wanted to grow up when he was a child. And he wanted Henry, to have a family. And then he's like, yeah, if I saw that house today, I'd probably throw up. Yeah. Henry, just for anybody listening who maybe hasn't seen this. You, did you did you explain who Henry was? He's, he's his, he, yeah, we he, he says earlier. he's his brother. He showed up and claimed to be his brother, but he's not. Ultimately, wasn't. What did you? I'm curious because one of the most, I would think, emotionally affecting uh, through lines of this movie that I actually completely forgot about. Like I just forgot it was even in it uh, until I rewatched it. Is his relationship with Mary Sunday, which is maybe the only, which I think is very interesting, like detail for me. But it might be like the only emotionally honest, like connection he the, has with a human being and that's the young daughter yeah, yeah. Little, and i think it's because she is a child so therefore he can you know just be himself with like he can't sell her anything or anything like there's no ulterior motive when obviously she wants to speak to him and also of course with the backstory of uh, the father beating on her which i love when he says it at the picnic table yeah when right. I, I swear he's clearly sitting right there next he to is, him but I, yeah. I feel like when you first see that scene because i can't remember so tell me if i'm wrong but i just even though I watched it last night. But it doesn't, it like, when he's saying that at first, you don't know that he's sitting there, and it's not until, like, the minute he finishes, and then he just out. turns around, right. and then he's yeah. like, oh, he's just sitting that, right. That sounds right. Okay. And, and the great thing, and this is to go to the cinematography and to Paul Thomas Anderson's wonderful direction as well, too, is that we see Abel, uh, the, the father of Mary, kind of turn and, and look at him, you know, with kind of this, like, what the fuck are you doing eyes. Okay. But you see Daniel turn, and you don't see the look on his face, but you know the look on his face is pretty much that, like a shit I, I will murder you yeah. if you keep this up, and don't yeah. think I'm fucking joking. Yeah. And, but that's like, a, it sounds like bad or whatever, but it's not, because that's actually him doing something good for somebody else without getting anything in return. Uh, you know what I mean? That, yeah. That's one. That's why, for me, it's like the most emotionally honest you know, relationship he has in the movie. Because even some of the relation, not relationship, but um, some of the moments with H.W. could be seen as more sinister than they might seem at first. Like, And I, I'm truly of the camp that I do think he was a good man that lost his way. And mm. I maybe lost his way early. I'm not saying like you know, even halfway through the movie, he was still a good person or anything like that. But there, there are too many scenes I would think in the very first thirty minutes that are too much of a like a good human being for me to like fully accept that he was always a monster. Like I love the scene and um, when he when he has H W uh, on the um, on the train. Yeah, and I just love that scene, that completely wordless scene where he's like letting him play with his mustache, just things that like you just would not expect a person of his like I don't know like attitude or whatever to just let happen but he is kind of just taken in by this like childlike wonder of well, having a human there, being there is too if you don't mind getting by jamming real quick there is a really small but important um, moment at the end of the towards the end of the film after hw walks out and he's screaming bastard from a basket in yep. the background and then they just cut to the wordless scene of him like yeah. playing with the only HW. time they show a flashback yeah, yeah. and it's just that that's just one of those things where that's probably what he's thinking about there, and right? Like I do think 
not only, and that's maybe the first time he's realized it, like he has changed and whatnot. But then that's, yes, that's another perfect example of how I actually do think there was this metamorphosis as the more oil he struck, the more, you know, greed corrupted him. Uh, but there was even little touches with HW, not even in that flashback, but in the beginning that just made me think that he had decent motives. Like when he, like, it's not like he ever like put HW to work or anything like that. He, he did provide for him and he'd always let him like, you know, he'd be like, go back to bed. You know, like, it's not like he... Because I, I could have seen this gone a whole other way where, like, the same character would have been like, okay, I want you up there the minute you turn 13 or something yeah. like that, you know, but uh, were you going to say well, something? Well, I was going to agree with you in that I thought in the beginning he just was portrayed as very much just like a strong, powerful, but successful business guy who was just very good at manipulating people to get what yeah. he wanted, but it was never in, like, a what ultimately turned up to be a dangerous nasty way yeah. he just kind of was very good at, at getting what he wanted but that being said from the very beginning you, you never really know as alex as you were saying he, he's such a uh you know there's so many layers to his character that like you, you don't really know you know he had this grand this grand plan all along of of, of taking on this you, son you're, just you're never going to know either like you just have to believe it one way right. or the other because when, it's when he pl- ultimately tells yeah. him in the end that he's an orphan and that he was just a bastard from a basket like right. which is technically that, true so right yeah well, right well maybe that was his plan all along. maybe he was just a very nasty person and he just took this kid on to ultimately groom him to to Right. Which I actually do think that is why he took him in the beginning. If, okay. if I look at my opinion, although I do think he grew attached to him because he was, you yeah. know, parading him around as right. his son all these years. Um, but that that's something. Uh, another thing I wanted to hit on real quick about uh, Daniel's character um, is his his kind of adverse reaction when anybody brings up that he doesn't have a wife yeah. or a mother, which uh, I think, at least for me, leads to believe possibly that he had uh, some other thing, not that he was gay necessarily, but that he had some sort of issues possibly in terms of that at the time where you just don't want to talk or about it. Or Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. He, he could not be a father or he right. was impotent or something like that. Which is why the kid is obviously a great excuse to just have, so that right. way they don't have to ask about it. But anytime anybody brings up, where's his mother, Daniel? Right. He's just like, I don't want to talk about that. Well, or, or, or women in general. No, so. he actually gives a reason that's a lie, but he says she died at childbirth, which right. is like a perfect way to basically both get sympathy and also end the conversation. Right. Right. Which is the same. But she was and, great at ending conversations very broadly. I love when they were sitting at the table. Was it the banker? He was talking about um, the loans, getting the loans for for what, the various different projects. And he asked him, like, how's your boy? And he's like, thanks for asking. And oh, then they yeah, asked yeah. him H- again, like, well, how's your Tilford? boy? How, the, how's your boy? He's like, I, I said, thanks for asking. That'll do. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the guy who works with uh, Standard Oil who comes back. And, yeah, and, him. And Daniel's relationship with him and the entire film is, is one of my favorite parts <laughs> just because it, it leads to that great napkin scene or later right. in the film. Uh, it also leads to the great line where he's just sitting there for no reason just says, one night I'm going to come over and I'm going to cut your throat. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? But I think what it's a, it's a real subtle moment, but it's like a drop the mic, fuck you yeah. moment. At the, at the very end of the uh, their last his last encounter with H.M. Tilford when they're at the the restaurant after the the Nepkin incident and he goes over to their table and he's talking to them and oh see I showed you never and he just like stands up to walk away then he just slightly turns back and drinks his whiskey and then walks <laughs> back to his yeah. table 
but fucking badass. Yes. No, well, was he drunk at that point? Oh, I was yeah. trying to figure out, like, oh, yeah. well, I couldn't yeah. tell if it was just because he was but that drunk is, or if But he that was, is him in a nutshell. He was just trying to make a point. If you look at uh, everything he gets in this movie, it's only him taking things, whether it's his own son, uh, quote-unquote, or it's obviously these oil lands. Obviously, he may be selling them, but in theory, he's just taking them because he's not obviously letting them in on the full prosperity of what he's going yeah. to get and whatnot. And he's the owner of the land now, so yeah. whatever, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> exactly. But like everything he gets in this movie, it's just him taking things. But one other thing I was going to mention is, is that for someone who personally believes in the reading that like he was a different person in the beginning than he was at the end, um, even I like see so many great foreshadowing of the person that he would become early on in the script. I love when he's talking to, uh, uh, I forget, is it Henry Sunday is the name of the, no, it's, what's his... What's Eli's brother? Paul? Paul Sunday, yeah. Um, I love when he's talking to Paul about the deal or whatever, and I love his last line to him is, Paul, if I go out there and I see that there's nothing there, I will come back for more than my money. Which is obviously, that's the kind of person he will become later on, even though we haven't really seen any real violence from him at that point. So it's kind of like, at first you might just think it's him being threatening, but then we learn, like, no, when he gets reduced to that, he will do that. I think also, sorry, can you go ahead? I was just going to say, I felt like there was a very distinct point in the movie where he turned from his original self into this horrible person and it was after it's it's the whole scene that uh when when his son has the accident With the, and the rig blows up and it's yeah. catches on fire and he's covered in oil and and he's just standing there looking at this realizing how much money he's just come into yep. i felt like that scene lingered on abnormally long comparably to a lot of scenes in this movie in the beginning that had lingered on longer than I thought they yeah, should have, I mean, but just the, that one just went on and on and on, and I just felt like, okay, he's obviously just reached a turning point. Like that that character, looking back at it, that was the turning point. Like he became a horrible person after well, that moment. Also, that effect, um, everything involved with it, whether it be practical or CGI. That was obviously the big expenditure of the of the movie. Oh, there, yeah, but, so they got like, their money's worth. And as a visual metaphor, like you know, just that's a perfect example of what happens. Like a man starts to dig for oil, but then ends up making a huge fucking mess. You know, like something that comes get literally out of his right. control, and he has to suffer consequences because of it. I I do like also another thing, uh, not just about this film, because. I definitely don't think this is the best story ever. I mean, it's. I, I think it's a really good story. I, I love the sort of involvement, whether it be industry against religion, if you want to make that comparison, or or the way they go together, or you know, sort of the way they work with each other, whatever. But um, just showing how Daniel starts off in, in the first scene, where he's doing something completely different, where he's he's off and he's you know trying to find you know different things, and he fucks up his leg, which I also think is a great, um, and, and I know, Nick, you don't really subscribe to things that um, show older characters that actors have played or whatever, but when Daniel Day-Lewis... leg. Yeah, when he's, when he's no. the only... That's fine. You and legs, because it's the same thing about <laughs> House's leg in Tomorrowland. Like, all your theories come back to legs. Okay, but he is pushing him, and the only thing he doesn't have is his left leg, where in my left foot, that's the only appendage that... Uh, that 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 his uh, that works at all. I'll say this leg. much: like if it's a movie, it, it, it's better than the house one at least. I'll I'll say that that might be slight. I would give you slightly more as far as like 
maybe Anderson was being a cheeky fucker because he does have a relationship with cinema history. Because I mean, if you listen to him on any podcast pair, that's all he does is just talk films, not his own even, but like just all the films he watched growing up and stuff like that. So. No, I, I, I don't. Subs- <laughs> I don't subscribe to it, but it's, it's better than your uh, House's Leg uh, Tomorrowland crossover. Well, thank you. Anytime, but I will say I don't completely dismiss things like that. It's only like I always see that in more. I would say like movies that are being more self-conscious of themselves and like more meta. Uh, but no, I, I'm, okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what I was going to end there really quickly, though. But I didn't make that connection until now, and now I'm glad you actually brought it up. Well, there you go. Next time you can watch that and be like, "Oh, it's just be- it's because of my left foot." Um, <laughs> no, I'll just say, "Oh, Alex is crazy." Yeah, good. What else is new? The uh, the scenes though of him like finding out how to get oil, I think, are just some of my favorite. There's no dialogue in those, and uh, I I wrote this down as it's got to be in my contention for. Uh, uh, top five worst ways to die. You're 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 getting oil in a fucking huge piece of lumber fall down and kills you, and they have to fucking fish your body out. That sucks. That I don't know what that like. That was prosthetic, or if that was like a man made up to whatever. But when they dig the one guy out, or whatever, like despite the fact that there's barely any blood or like even like I would say like you can't even get a great look at exactly what it's like that's one of the most gruesome things I've ever seen in a film just because of how like impersonal it is like when they take his body out he already looks like he's one with the earth which makes it even more fucked up and we we talked about the humor in this movie earlier and even though that scene there was nothing funny about it (laughs) I love when they woke him up in the middle of the night when they woke Dan up in the middle of the night and they told him somebody had died and and he's like like who was it? How did it happen? And they're like, I don't. They're they're fishing them out right now. They're fishing the body. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny to me, but well, that and also after they pull his body out or whatever, I do love his uh, his. Now we never go down into the mine shaft without <laughs> telling anybody, right? And then they're like, yes, right. And then like that's the only thing he wanted to get you know across that he wasn't going to lose another guy, not because he actually cared about them as human beings, but he was just pissed off that this happened. So um, before we bring this episode to a close because we, we've gone over a lot of this movie and I'm sure there's even more we could go over too. Uh, I definitely want to get everyone's thoughts on Daniel and Eli's relationship and kind of how they thought about their relationship going forward because that's pretty much the, the, the main part of this film. I was going to say, it's funny that we haven't talked too much about it when it's actually, for me, like the most important part of the yeah. movie because I think what's great about their uh, relationship is that they're the only two people in the world who can see through each other's bullshit because of what the other one does. <laughs> because, you know, like, that's why Daniel knows that, you know, Eli is, like, a, a false, you know, whatever, prophet. False and, prophet, yeah. And whatever. But that's the same reason as why Eli knows that Daniel's only there to get money and will screw over everybody because nobody, you know... Well, it was an interesting relationship to watch because they both hated each other so damn much, but they knew that... They were so alike. They Well, and they needed what the other one had in order to be yeah. successful with with what they were going with yeah. their endeavor they they needed each other yet especially on Daniel's part I, I feel like Eli to him was just a like a like a pesky like just a net buzzing around and it, he was just obnoxious and and yet he knew he needed what Eli had in the land well so, not only that but if you look at uh just literally what they needed from each other. Um, Daniel needed the approval of the parishioners, which right. he was never going to get unless Eli obviously would give him the approval and with the blessing or whatever. In the same way that Eli also even at one point needs a new church, and we do see that Daniel does provide him for that, which I, is some I, of the most gorgeous set design. That is that is one. I mean, there's with, the technical aspects of this film. I don't think there's really anything anyone could 
not say bad about necessarily, but but argue that they're not just terrific because they 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 are aesthetically when he's getting the the baptism, you know, toward uh, after the halfway point in the new church, uh, and the light is coming in through that cutout cross or whatever. First of all, it looks amazing. Like, yeah, the way that light just only comes in from there uh, looks fantastic. And however, that's also a, a pretty hilarious, I would say, visual metaphor because it's a, it's a cross that's not actually there. It's just an illusion because it's you know cut out into the barn instead of like you know like when I when I used to go to church um you know they'd always hang up a cross like a real thing or whatever here there is no cross it, it's, a, it's an absence of a cross so i just kind of love that kind of bullshit uh, uh visual imagery it may have been on purpose i believe so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i just their their relationship to me is always the the best part of this film and it, it it's for me daniel always needs somebody to, to be there to kind of not not to that he can the take, shit out of not that he can take advantage of but but that he feels like is going to to push him to to go even further and yeah. push push even further in in a, in a good or bad way for right. for him and for the community or if we want to go that far. If he's going to get somewhere higher. He's got to step up on somebody. To get well, there. and that's true that that Eli never has the upper hand, with the one exception of the baptism scene where right. Daniel gets him back for later on. Right. But the, the the I love that Eli every turn of this movie always brings up that $5,000 that he hasn't gotten yet. It comes up on three separate occasions. And especially, he finally just fucking snaps. <laughs> well, and at the, after the baptism scene, he even brings it up then where he's, he go, he's, he's, and it's kind of in the background, so if you're not listening, you won't hear it, but Daniel sits down and Mary comes up and hugs him, whatever, and all you hear in the background, Eli just being like, well, Mr. Plainview has decided to give the church a $5,000. I'm like, I still bring this shit up after all these years. So and and even at the end, when he asked for a hundred thousand dollars and the five thousand dollars, yeah, plus interest. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that comical it was it was comical that scene where he where Daniel took him and basically slapped him around and rubbed his oil. face in the yeah. oil. Like I don't understand. There was there was never actually for as much physical violence as there was from time to time. There were never actually any like clo- like fists thrown. It was always well, like open-handed he, he was, slaps. He was and... actually slapping him, though, so yeah. that's part... Which well, happened a right. lot in the movie. There's... Yeah. Um... Even when, uh, like, some, just as far as, like, visual echoes almost, when uh, the boy comes back off the train, the first thing he does when they kind of have their reunion Start is slapping start him slapping him the same way that I'm sure he's it's, seen his father slap other people. It's just, there for for whatever reason, I don't know why it caught me off guard and it kind of struck me as weird. Like, by all accounts, this had, a like, an old Western feel to it, this movie. And with old, like, if you get, like, a John Wayne, like, a typical, you know, cowboy and Indian kind of movie, whenever there's physical violence, like, there's good hearty punches thrown, oh, yeah. and there's, like, there's actual, like, connecting punches. Yeah, with this movie, it's like it made a point to where there was never actually a punch throw. It was just a lot of slapping and open-handed, like, right. And I think that's hits. definitely Paul Thomas Anderson being, like, a comedy, you know, director, as far as, <laughs> They like, were very comical. Yeah, because I think there's something about that image, which is, like, the director and the script kind of acknowledging how pathetic these men are, that, like, they're not even having real fights. They would probably need to, like, pay money to have somebody else to have these fights or in the case of Eli he'd have to have God do it himself or something like that you know like like they can't have their own fights um, so I, I, I totally think that's definitely intentionally like black comedy yeah I love when when Daniel's just pushing him around and uh, Eli just trying to breathe like starts spitting and Daniel's just oh <laughs> Oh man! I'm gonna yeah. bury you underground. This is one of the only times when Paul Dano's like exorcist shrieking performances like completely work because he kind of tried to repeat it in uh, Twelve Years a Slave, which um, didn't really work. I mean, I like that movie, and I don't 
just like him in that movie or whatever. But like, it's kind of like, okay, you did it here because it was fantastic and it works, you know, because you were playing this, whatever. But I don't know why everybody's casting him to do the same thing now, but that'll mm. happen. Well, yeah, he's definitely the kind of actor who can get typecast, just like somebody like Michael Sarah or something like that. So, yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's let's bring this uh, this actually pretty lively discussion about. I'm I'm surprised and happy that I, I feel like we've we've gotten a pretty good discussion out of this. So. You're sniveling us. <laughs> let's go to ratings and start with Nick. Well, um, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, if anybody can't tell, I I love this movie. Uh, for the most part, I, it's just one of those where I, I I love it from a distance in the sense that I don't have a lot of emotional attachment to it, which is kind of where my favorite movie comes into play, uh, which is probably why, like, that's why I love this movie so much because of the sense that it's made by pretty much my favorite current working director. So I, I totally dig what he does and the way he tells a story or whatever. But unlike a movie like Magnolia or even movies that I think are harder to get into, like The Master, and can I can understand why somebody would like that less, like are speaking to things that I'd rather hear more about, like religion and such. Um, so, so overall, I mean, and there's nothing really more I can say about it because everything we've talked about has already been pretty much everything I love about it, whether it's the cinematography or the score and the performances. So overall, I would give this four out of five stars because I, I think it's just a, on a technical level, it's perfect in my eyes. Like, it's just, he, there's no wrong move made. Uh, but I wouldn't say that that means that I automatically think it's a masterpiece per se. So yeah, I give it four out of five stars. Very good. Let's move to Kenny. Um... Yeah, kind of circling back to what I was saying originally about this movie, it's not necessarily my type of, uh, you know, the, the speed of this movie is not quite for me. Yeah. It was, it, it dragged at a few points. It was kind of slow, especially at first. But there, what I want to, I can't stress this enough, though, for everything it lacked for me and my taste, there were enough other crutches that, more than got me through in enjoying this movie like whether it be the score or 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 dan his his this accent that you said he created this accent just for this like it yeah every there were so many things that he said that were it was just like an odd way of saying it and this this accent that he had it just this this, he's got one of the voices in this movie that i feel like if this was any other movie i would have hated it and i like it even if it was him doing it in Mm -hmm. any other movie like it would have just pissed me off but there's something about his voice that actually like feels weirdly like perfectly in place like um i almost feel like his voice kind of goes back to that when he was first working like that's just how exhausted he is uh, at this point in life once he starts selling oil rather than simply just searching for it because obviously we see in the first 15 minutes he fucking almost gets his almost dies just trying to find oil and whatnot yeah well aside from even just his accent I mean everything about his character was just such an interesting story in the a, way a that very he much developed. earned best uh, leading actor at the Oscars that year yeah he was just it was so well developed and interesting to follow what he turned into and I love the different moments of suspense in this movie that were created by the score like early on they had these weird scenes where something would happen and a couple different times within the first half hour it would like pan out to the mountains and it had like this really suspenseful kind of sound going on and it just i was always kind of like what's what's gonna happen you know it it was interesting but yeah like you said it's a beautiful movie it's uh it, it it looks gorgeous it's about as close to like you don't you don't really get any good western movies anymore and i, I was kind of alluding to this earlier this is about you know 
as close to that as you're going to get without being an actual Western where you got... I was going to say, it's got all the aesthetics of one, but it right. definitely does not... No, the story, definitely not. It's not about cowboys. Like, no, you know. it's not. Well, and you also don't get films that are shot that are supposed to be in the early 1900s that... That they, they have that old film feel to them, mm-hmm. and that, obviously, Paul Thomas Anderson shooting an actual film has yeah. a big part of that. But no, A lot of this yeah. is uh, definitely influenced by, like, John Ford's camera work, who made some of the best westerns of all time and whatnot, with some of the very, like, outside-the-front-porch-looking-out kind of, like, landscape uh, portraits. But, yeah. Um, and, and, and also the comedy. We talked about the comedy, and being my first viewing... I think Alex, you said it, and you're you're right. Like I, I caught some of the stuff that was funny, but upon first viewing, I think it's a lot to take in, and you don't necessarily catch some of the humor. But I did catch some things that were funny, and as we're talking about them now, I'm remembering things I forgot about that actually. I'll were give you really three thousand dollars. I'd like you to be part of our church. Give you five thousand yeah, yeah, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and but, even your shirt. You should explain your shirt. <laughs> oh, I was going to get to that. Don't worry. Okay. Well, yeah. So anyway. Uh, I'm actually very surprised given how this movie started and how I felt within the first half hour from, from then until now, I I'm overwhelmed with how much I like this movie. I'm I'm actually also going to give it a four out of five and I would love to watch it again. And my score actually could probably go up from that. Cool. I was very surprised with it. I'm, I'm, I'm happily surprised. I, it, not that I didn't think you were going to like it, Kenny, but I wanted to know what your gauge is on this movie because this is um, very slow. But yeah. that being said, there was so much to it that I got past the the tempo of it. For some reason, this uh, still isn't in my top fifty, uh, and it's it's going to end up being there after watching it because I haven't seen it in probably a year or two. And I, I just when I made that list, I wasn't really thinking about this for some reason. But every time I go back to this movie, it, there's just all kinds of great things that you can love about this film, whether it be the tech technical aspects of it whether it be the direction which uh, it's a paul thomas anderson film and even though some of his films that he's made lately the master and inherent vice haven't been my favorite works of his he's still just a absolute wonderful filmmaker and he does such a great job in this film and and the casting does such a great job too i mean daniel day lewis putting on one of the best performances of all time in, in any film for my money i just thought daniel plainview and daniel day lewis's portrayal of him was just so great from this film and Every second he's on screen, which is almost every second of the film, if you if you want to get down to it, um, he is just owning that role and giving you a reason to watch it. And I feel like you could watch this film and think one thing about his character and watch it a second time and think something totally different. Like he has that kind of weird character that you know so much about, but know so little about at the same time saying, it's so it's so weird the fact that his backstory is such a mystery too yeah uh, especially because everything you learn about it turns out to be false too like with you know that guy be, not being henry and stuff like that there, there could be a lot you could definitely read into it based on the missing pieces that you don't have and just some of the the moments with him where it's finding the, the photo after he, he murders fake henry and he just starts bawling after he, he had murdered him and it's just so many things like that that make his his character so complex and it's it's and just his terrific mustache yes well what i mean hell of a mustache. On, that, that is Oof. just a fabulous mustache wow. just to go right along with his accent it was so for great ages that's, that's a great mustache <laughs> but the for me what it comes back to the first time i saw this film where i had i, I don't want to say a similar reaction to what kenny did I, I liked this film when i saw it the first time but when when i got to the final scene i was i was you know interested but the final scene of this film keeps me on the edge of my seat every time, even though I know it's going to happen. Just the way, because for me, um, 
uh, maybe I'm a bad person for this, but I'm I'm kind of rooting for Daniel this part because I I just really don't care for Eli and his character because I know he's slain and bullshit, and we don't see anything that's really good about Eli in the entire film where we see some parts of Daniel that could be good, and I I just I just get annoyed sometimes with, with Eli's character not not from his portrayal but just of his, the character well the way is. you're supposed to be yeah well but. When when Daniel kind of gets the best of him, not not necessarily the, the end of the, uh, the I was going to say the end is Daniel taking oh, it a little too far. No, but 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 when <laughs> but when yeah. he pretty much gets him to stand up and goes through all that and and, and including the line, which is I think my in, well the the milkshake line is great, but my favorite line of the film is when Eli is talking to Daniel and saying how he's having some of you know having hard times or whatever and and Daniel just perks his head up and just goes well sometimes the lord challenges us Eli <laughs> and it's just it's just great and yeah. and that scene is just wonderfully crafted oh, and yeah. and his character is so far gone into alcoholism and grief and depression at that time he just lets it all fly out all the emotions that he's been holding back for all these years on Eli Except for that one scene where well, he beats him up, but it just happened previous or prior to that scene, which you know, which is the, the son choosing to leave him. Yeah, basically. yeah. But but he's passed out in the middle of the bowling lanes, and then he's you know sitting there, and he he does that whole thing where you're song and dance, or he's moving up and down, <laughs> and then then it arrives at the the milkshake part, and I have a shirt that says I drink your milkshake with a, a guy <laughs> with an excessively long straw over on another guy's milkshake, which is really odd. I gotta say the hardest I actually laugh at this film is the final both shot and line when he goes I'm finished, yeah, and then it just cuts to the end. And that's credits. it. Like I just love that. But 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 the milkshake line, the the uh, you have a milkshake, I have a milkshake. I mean that's just that that's <laughs> that that's easily the most recognizable line from this film. But it's just that scene and the, and the craziness that ensues when he's throwing the bowling balls at him, and then he ends up murdering him with a bowling pin. And that that's the one thing about Daniel Day Lewis that you w- wouldn't have gotten from any other actor. You could have gotten you could have had you know dug up fucking anybody from the past and got any actor you want the. The ferocity of him when he is murdering him with that bowling pin the second th- two Which times. Which you don't even see, like as far as like the body is off camera, yeah. and yet it's still one of the most like gruesome things. And you, but the the sound it makes yeah. and, and the look he has when he's just throwing that bowling pin down, and then the the look he has on his face when like he almost can't believe what he just did. Like, <laughs> it's just the 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 whole movie, the whole package is just is just terrific, and I, I can't give it a perfect score because. At the end of the day, it, for me, it isn't a perfect film. I still have not seen a Paul Thomas Anderson film that I would say is perfect, which oh, many wow. people would disagree with, especially you, Nick. But, um, yeah, I'm just a huge fan of this film. I love it every time. And, and maybe someday it will be a perfect score in my book because every time I watch this, I feel like I like it even more. So four and a half out of five for me, really close to the tippy top. Um, but there will be blood. Um, I it, give it a chance. That's all I have to say about it because it's it's one of those films where if you are just kind of a casual film viewer and you start watching this, you're going to turn it off if you don't know what it's going to end up being. And I, I just think you should give it a chance because it's and it's great. Um, and if you haven't given it a beings. chance now, you already know the entire plot. Yeah, I was, you know, if, if if you haven't heard, seen this movie before, then well, then you're yeah, oops. But still watch it. Yeah, yeah well, that's, definitely. That's the disadvantage sometimes of our show, I guess, is we like to talk about everything about movies. So. Yeah. People should know that going in by now, right? That's right. <laughs> well, uh, that was our review of There Will Be Blood. If you have a review of it or any other movie we've done in the past or any movie in general and you want to send your review to us, you could send that to filmtankshow at gmail.com. 
Uh, also, if you have any feelings on the upcoming movies uh, we'll be doing next week, which are Ant-Man and Trainwreck, you can send those on to us at the, that same web address, uh, filmtankshow at gmail.com. Obviously, you can always find us on our website, filmtankshow.com, where you can listen to us and you can also listen to us on iTunes. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So from Nick Cheney, Kenny Marsalis, and not Toussaint Egan, <laughs> I'm Alex Diegman. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode. We will catch you next time. I'm finished.